Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. What's going on, everybody? For CryptoCurrent, I'm Stephen Miller, and you're watching The Aftershock, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest from the wild world of Web3. I today am joined by my co-host, Chris K. Chris, how we doing? Doing great, Steve. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I am fresh off of our um, other um, host, Richard's uh, wedding weekend. It was an absolute blast. I want to make sure that we take a second here to congratulate him and his lovely wife, Carly. Um, we are. Everybody here at the cryptocurrency family is stoked for them, um, but we need to continue to you know go on with bringing you the latest in Web three news. So I'm back here with Chris today, and we'll be also um, handling a couple more interviews for the next week ahead. Chris, you've got um, some new basics content coming out, don't you? I do. That is correct. On Thursday, so I believe that'll be day of for those listening on the podcast platforms, there will be a new YouTube video going up, some crypto to cryptid information about how proof of work actually works. Uh, that was kind of a mouthful, I'll be honest, saying work twice <laughs> in four words. <laughs> well, look, that'll be a great piece of content. So make sure that you are subscribed to us here on YouTube. And also, as Chris had said, Make sure that you are following us wherever you get your favorite podcast because that's where we will bring you all of the audio content from these shows and Richard's interviews going into the future. Today, we've got a big show ahead. So let's go ahead and dial that up. We are talking about some really big wins that have been coming it, it, during a time when honestly, it seems like a lot of stuff's bleak here in crypto land. Um, so we're going to be diving into that the only way that we know how. And that's by jumping into our flash news segment, buy, sell, or hodl. Buy, sell, or hodl. So for those that are unfamiliar, we like to do our uh, lightning round of news here through buy, sell, or hodl, where we give you our take on whether it is bullish, bearish, or just something you need to be watching here in Web3. Our first piece of news this week comes from Dubai, who has officially announced they've formed a regulator to oversee virtual assets from within their country. Pretty interesting stuff there. Chris? Coinbase blocked 25,000 Russian-linked accounts uh, as well, I believe, during the last week. No big surprise there. It's kind of been a common trend amongst a lot of the centralized exchanges as of late. Yeah, that is completely to conform to the uh, U.S. sanctions on Russia like throughout this ongoing conflict they've had with Ukraine. Um, in our next story, a judge on the Ripple versus SEC case 
has officially ruled that the SEC's fair notice defense is officially off the table in its case against XRP's Ripple Labs. Um, what I will say is this is an absolute coup for the XRP and Ripple Labs teams. Um, suffice to say, if they cannot show that you know fair notice is on the table, XRP and Ripple have a lot less they have to prove in this case in order to get it thrown out and to start setting additional precedent. Chris, do you have any other take on this one? Uh, my final thought here for everyone listening is going to be this, right? This is a huge win. Yes, for XRP, but more so for any similar cases in the future, because this will set a precedent. That means that the SEC can no longer use the fair notice defense unless the circumstances have changed in which they try to apply it. It's a really big piece. Why don't you take this next one? Yeah, so up next, Andrew Yang. Uh, for those who don't know, he was a 2020 US presidential candidate, then ran to be the New York mayor. Lost both times, but now he has the Lobby 3 DAO, and they are going to be working essentially to create an independent crypto lobby. <clears throat> yep. And then we have, um, I mean, first of all, that's needed, right? I mean, we're at the point where we are in desperate need of a lobby in the crypto world. Um, to just organize and to go toward legislators and essentially have our interests in mind instead of just letting the regulators decide what they want for our industry without our, any say from us. So I applaud Andrew Yang and Lobby3DAO for you know taking that on. So that's pretty big stuff. Um, another really big story out this week comes from Stripe. If you're not familiar with Stripe, they're one of the biggest payment gateways out there in the world, um, pretty much on the same level as PayPal at this point. Yeah, they're big. And yeah, I mean, they, it's pretty much any B2B platform is integrating Stripe these days. Like they, they process billions in transactions um, every year. But they've announced officially support for crypto and NFT service providers. So that means exchanges, NF, um, NFT platforms and marketplaces, and even crypto wallet providers. All of them will have support via Stripe now. So not only can you integrate with Stripe, but you can also use it to pay out employees and you can use it to accept payment from others. So in crypto. So that's a huge move. Theoretically opens the door to a lot more crypto users globally. Uh, we could do a whole video talking about how big that piece is. And who knows? If, you like, if you'd like us to co cover that content more so, please let, let us know in the comments. Um, but Chris, why don't you tell us about what's going on with SoftBank? Yeah, so SoftBank, uh, their Z Holdings uh, arm is actually going to be launching an NFT marketplace soon, which is going to be very interesting to say the least. You know, SoftBank, one of those large financial financial institutions that pops up quite frequently in the news. So a lot of eyes will be on this, and I hope it does well because when crypto does well in the limelight, it doesn't hurt anybody. Yep. And again, Z Holdings is their specific, their internet specific um, VC arm. So it's pretty interesting that they're diving into this. Um, okay, so this one's an interesting piece. Um, we mentioned this a little while ago that there was a big controversial story surrounding Brantley Milligan, who was a director in the Ethereum naming service, um, essentially organization, because they're now relatively decentralized. Um, he made some really controversial statements and it pissed off a lot of people and they basically brought up a proposal within the um, governance to 
remove him from his position and remove him from you know being even related to ENS. The vote to remove him failed um, by two hundred thousand votes. So unfor- unfortunately, if you are you know on the downvoting side of that, you were unsuccessful. Um, but I'm sure that this discussion surrounding Brantley Milligan will continue on into the future. And I wouldn't be surprised if the leadership over at ENS actually asks him to step step down either way, um, because there's been a lot of negative backlash over that entire situation. Um, our last piece here uh, comes from Ledger. Um, Chris, do you know much about this one? Uh, not too much. Um, all I really know about Ledger in general and about their nano, you know, their nano wallets is that they're essentially top of the line basically industry standard hardware wallets. They're very good at what they do. So I'm interested to see what comes of this. Yeah, All that I know of it is that this new limited edition Nano S Plus is going to be the first release of their Nano S Plus line. And it's basically just going to bring more expanded memory, a slightly larger screen to what is already the Nano device. Um, so it's kind of a middle ground between the Nano S and the Nano X. So pretty interesting development there. But let's jump into metaverse-related news. Our biggest story in the metaverse last week was, um, let's just say, absolutely enormous. There's been a ton of talk across the last four to six weeks um, on whether or not Larva Labs was going to relinquish the IP rights of CryptoPunks and MeBits to, to their holders. So up until recently... CryptoPunks and MeBits holders have, have been very limited in what they could actually use their NFTs for. Well, Yuga Labs decided that they were going to get in communication with Larva Labs and purchase the IP rights to both CryptoPunks and MeBits. And again, Chris, these are not chump change projects. These are two oh, of the no. biggest projects in NFTs besides Board Ape Yacht Club, which by the way, <laughs> Board Ape Yacht Club and Mutant Ape Yacht Club yeah, they were made by Yuga Labs. So all four of these properties are now under the Yuga Labs umbrella. And within the last 48 hours when this news broke, Yuga Labs has already announced that like following the acquisition, they're going to be immediately relinquishing all IP rights to the holders. So that means they can fully use all of those NFT properties commercially. They can produce their own... Um, you know, merch with their specific CryptoPunks or MeBits on them and start to generate additional profit from it. Do you have anything that you really want to add to on this story? Or, I mean, do you just think this is as big of a deal as I think it is? I mean, it's huge. And ironically in crypto, which, you know, all of us are big fans of because it's decentralized, this actually effectively centralizes to a certain degree, probably 50% of the entire NFT marketplace's value. But, and the good news here, and why you should not be as worried as you may typically be, is that Yuga Labs so far has shown they just want to do right by the NFT holders, which is a good thing. Um, I'm looking very forward to the ensuing legal drama when someone creates a merch line with their CryptoPunk and in a year sells it and then the merch keeps selling. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how those types of battles play out. But... I have a feeling that it's going to probably be less played up when that time comes. Um, so I'm interested to see how it develops, but I think that it's a huge moment for anybody that has been long on their CryptoPunks or MeBits. Oh yeah, this is definitely a win for them. 
The next story comes via Boss Beauty. So Boss Beauty is another massive NFT play um, within the Ethereum blockchain, really focused on supporting um, young female mentorship and um, providing resources so they can grow um, within you know any number of different verticals, whether that's Web3 specific or otherwise. Um, they have announced the debut of their role models um, collection, as well as a collaboration with Hugo Boss. This is all during their massive alpha month, which they announced earlier on um, this month, where they're bringing out a ton of big announcements, including like you know a partnership with Neiman Marcus, Barbie, expanded news on their Marvel partnership, massive stuff there. But their 32 portrait collection um, is going to include, and I believe the auction on this is already closed, but it's going to include famous figures like Cleopatra, Joan of Arc, Princess Diana, Rosa Parks, Eleanor Roosevelt, Maya Angelou. So a lot of really big, iconic people within this collection. Um, so I think it's it's exciting. I know that there's been some pushback on it online, Chris, but to me, I think that it's just another you know way that they're going to bring in some capital to support you know young female mentorship. So yeah. I could, I couldn't be more for it personally. I just hope that that you know does hold up and that is what they're going to use that that funding for. Yeah, completely agree. As long as they do what they say they will with it, it can only be good. Why don't you take the next one? Yeah. So uh, for those who have been kind of paying attention to the NFT space for a while, you may know the name Cosmo de Medici, who Steve is fairly certain is Snoop Dogg. Well, recently, Bianca de Medici came to somewhat of a cult fame as well. And she was actually doxxed. And it turns out Bianca de Medici is the singer-songwriter Sia. So that's kind of big news. And... I'm sure someone out there is going to do some digging and figure out what the connection is between Sia and Cosmo. Yeah, so this actually all started a few weeks back. Um, I was fortunate to be a part of it where they were talking up the uh, the coming about of a secret Medici. And it was a really funny uh, publicity stunt that basically Cosmo de Medici had you know, got community support to pull off. And... Basically, you had a whole bunch of users come out as secret Medicis. So they took on different names from like the Medici family line. And Bianca was just among them. Um, so yeah, it, it was a really interesting delivery on it. But um, contrary to your, your belief, um, I'm actually now privy to a little bit more knowledge that um, Cosmo de Medici is not actually Snoop Dogg. <sighs> so um, it's, a let, it's, a let, it's a letdown in a few ways, but um, I'm... Very fascinated in the in the fact that Sia is actually Bianca de Medici. Um, she did an entire statement on her Twitter. You can check that out um, on your own. We'll try to le- uh, put in a link t- to that in the show notes. Um, the next piece of news comes from a famed um, crypto artist by the name of Jos- Josie Bellini, excuse me, who dropped her big collection of. I don't know if you want to call them PFPs, but it's a, it's a character collection that she dropped on the Ethereum blockchain um, called Cyber Brokers. And this collection is pretty different from all these other big PFP and character collections in that all of the art for the collection was actually put on chain. And to do that, Chris, just for some little, a little bit of perspective, we're talking about a cost of like... 500 ETH. Jeez. To just get all of this graphic data up on chain. I'm, I'm probably off with that number. Um, 
give or take 250 or so because I, I don't know. I'm sure it's more. Me. Um, but like, I mean, it is an absolutely massive undertaking to put that type of data on the chain, on the chain. So because it is entirely on chain now, it, you don't have to rely on other providers like, you know, IPFS or, um, Arweave to go back and provide reference links to where those graphics are hosted outside of the Ethereum blockchain. It will always be there as long as Ethereum exists. So that is a huge, huge value add. A lot of on-chain projects have seen significant value just because they're on-chain. Um, for example, on-chain Monkey has, I believe, a two ETH floor right now. Um, but for the sake of this article, in its first week, Cyber Brokers actually netted an, a sale of 150 Ethereum. And that is not common by any stretch, despite us being in a bear market right now or in a bearish momentum trend. Um, 150 ETH sales are not common. They don't just come out of nowhere. So um, I applaud Josie for the collection. I think it's a really stunning collection at large. Uh, but this, I think, is probably the start of another really, really big um, wave for NFT projects of high quality. Um, Cyber Brokers, last I checked, was sitting around a 3 ETH floor. I imagine we're going to see that go up steadily here in the next couple of months. But let's talk about this next piece because I think that you'll like it a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Th this is a really cool piece. So for those who don't know, there's a project called Cloud Yachts. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but essentially what they do is design these real-world super yachts, but entirely digitally, and they put you know the blueprints and all that on chain. Correct? Yeah, so that's, that's pretty correct. And then, so I guess what Cloud Yachts did is, you know, designed another super yacht, but then sold the blueprints to it essentially as a $95 million NFT. However, the buyer is then going to get this actual yacht delivered to them in real life. So that's a, to me, that's just A, cool marketing, but B, just a great example of how you can take a lot of these, you know, digital projects and have them come into the real world and, you know, be more than just a, number on a blockchain essentially. Yeah, this one to me is like it's it's really neat because this is nothing short of a super yacht. Um the yacht itself is called Project Metaverse um which is just funny to me but yeah, you're going to be able to claim this virtually um and the 3D mockup should be workable within a number of different metaverse applications. Um and you'll be able to get your own gigantic ass boat in real life, which is pretty dope. And our, our last piece in our quick last week in the metaverse segment is Dapper Labs, um, which is the company behind the Flow blockchain and um, NBA Top Shot and NFL All Day. They've officially been named to Fast Company's most innovative companies for 2022. This is a big deal because Fast Company has not traditionally been very, let's just say, technologically forward. Um, they've focused a lot more so on Web2 companies and also like, I guess, more of like traditional finance and looking at that world. This is their first step into accepting some crypto companies and some Web3 companies that are honestly leading the way. And there's no question that Dapper Labs is doing that. So a big congratulations to the Dapper team from the entire team here at CryptoCurrent. Uh, we've been trying to get them on the show and hopefully if they hear that, congratulations, they'll come on. Um, but that's going to wrap up our lightning round for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know in the comments over on YouTube if you did. 
If there's a story you want to hear more about, again, drop that in the comments, as well as any stories that you'd like us to cover in the future. Uh, we would love your take and would love to get it involved. Make sure, though, that you are subscribed and that you're following the show. Just our last little PSA there. But I think it's just about time that we jump into the big segment that we do every week, and that is the Aftershock. The Aftershock. Our Aftershock segment is the big narrative of the last week, what everybody seems to be talking about. And we like to break it down for you a little bit more so that we can understand the true implications for all of Web3. And the big one right now happens to follow around legislation, regulation, and um, really diplomacy at large. So the big headline that we want to talk about, at least in the first part of the Aftershock this week, has to do with the European Union who brought to the floor of their um, parliament today, um, we're recording this on Monday, a proposal that would limit proof of work and less sustainable virtual assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum, those that are energy or power hungry. Um, what was tricky about it is that there were some changes in the final hour when it came to this legislation. Basically, last week, there were changes to it that initially struck the ban from the legislation entirely. Okay, so the ban wasn't really supposed to be in there. But then over the weekend, um, one of the individual members of their parliamentary body, I believe from Germany, um, had changed some wording and effectively brought back the ban in kind of this roundabout way. But the wording as it stands um, going into the vote today was the crypto assets deemed unsustainable would be prohibited from being issued, offered, or admitted to trading. That means that any like cryptocurrency that is deemed environmentally not friendly by the EU would then have to completely remove itself from the EU or get compliant like rapidly, which is completely unrealistic of an ask for the EU to ask any type of um, crypto company to begin with. Um, but fortunately, the vote was um, basically voted against today. So the proposal would have killed the EU's competitiveness in Web3, forcing EU crypto, crypto businesses, capital and talent away to the US, Asia and Africa. But Chris, tell me a little bit why you think this is a really big deal. Because honestly, it's, in my opinion, I think this is a huge, huge news story. Yeah, I mean, not to keep, you know, bringing up the biggest news that everyone's talking about being Ukraine, but I think a big part of why this was struck down is because of the conflict with Ukraine and Russia. For years, you know, from an energy perspective, for years, you know, the EU has obviously made this large push to, you know, essentially be seen as greener, more forward thinking, sustainable, etc. But what they left out is that their infrastructure never fundamentally changed. And all they did was start importing their oil for their entire power grid from Russia. Now they're essentially at the mercy of Russia in terms of energy. And I think it's a similar thought process here. They realized, wow, the US and Biden just came out with a very forward-thinking executive order to essentially kind of prop up crypto reg regulation and you know, essentially debate. And it's going to drive a lot of positive change and innovation here in the US. And I think the EU realized, okay, yeah, we banned this, but crypto is not going anywhere anytime soon. So all this does is push us farther behind. It hurts potential economic benefits to us. 
And all it really does is drive more of that innovation and monetary value down the line to other countries. And I have a feeling that is a big part of why, you know, there was a lot of changes at the last minute. And to me, like, look, there's multiple things going on here. The big one in in my mind is that this narrative around environmentally... I I hate saying unfriendly because, like, I feel like it's just the dumbest way to say this, like, across the board. But the the less sustainable um, cryptocurrencies out there, like Bitcoin and Ethereum... And, and like that they're having this tremendous environmental impact, it's not actually holding water. If you look at the type of environmental impact that Zoom had throughout the um, last year, it's actually a multiple of what these specific applications have had on an environmental impact spectrum. But when you look at what crypto is doing at large and what it is displacing. Because again, a lot of these transactions that happen within cryptocurrency, they're happening in crypto where they would have happened in the traditional finance industry. Okay, The displacement of those transactions, they're actually a lot more environmentally friendly than the transactions that would have taken place in traditional finance. So there's a lot more going on there. But I think that this... There's two reasons why I think this legislation failed. The big one, I think, honestly, is that a lot of the people who voted no on it were voting no on it because they realize and recognize that right now is not the time to be rushing this type of legislation when we have a lot more pressing matters at hand. Absolutely. Like, there's no reason this should have been rushed to the floor of the EU. But I think the other side of it is you've got um, a, a big like a huge proposal being put forward um, in Belgium. I believe it was Belgium. And Belgium happens to be like one of the big financial centers of Europe, right? So uh, what people like to say is that like the financial legislation that comes out of Belgium typically guides the um, directive of the rest of Europe. So this specific piece of legislation that I'm referring to, I think is something that the EU parliamentary body wants to see develop. They want to see how Belgium rules on it before they actually adopt any true crypto regulation um, for all of its member states. So that's just my take on it. Any final notes from you um, before we move on to the latter half of our story here? No, let's keep it rolling. Perfect. So of course, the big thing stateside right now is Biden's executive order. And President Biden basically put out this executive order on crypto last week, tasking the U.S. Treasury with assessing and developing legislative recommendations for Congress as it relates to crypto. And this basically pointed to six focal points that they need to be forming legislation around. And those include consumer and investor protection, financial stability, illicit activity, U.S. competitiveness on the global stage, financial inclusion, and responsible innovation. The reason this is a really big deal is not so much that like this is actually commanding anything to immediately affect crypto consumers, but it's definitively forcing all of these agencies that have their hands in the overall financial pie to come together and have these conversations and determine the regulatory direction for our our country in a way that is not going to take us off of the global stage and that is going to, at the same time, 
make sure that we are innovating responsibly, you know, with the environment in mind, and also, you know, trying to make sure that we're honoring the existing system that we have in place so that we don't continue to have, you know, Ripple Labs versus the SEC all over again with 15 different crypto companies. So before we jump into um, one of the biggest political commentators on it, I want to give you a chance to give me your take and we'll bounce this back and forth for a second. What do you think of the executive order? Um, I think it... (laughs) I think it does what all executive orders do, which is functionally it does nothing. You know, it has that the classic language that you always see in political statements, which is we encourage this and we want to work together for this reason. But I don't think, you know, and this goes for all executive orders in the United States, they're never really intended to accomplish anything. More often than not, it's a kind of a you know, it's a signal, it's a sign that, you know, you don't have to do this. However, this is what this administration, and in this case, I believe, what the government at large wants. And they don't want these overcomplicated regulations where the SEC, you know, treats a decentralized digital asset as, you know, Apple stock, for example, right? They're completely different, not just in how they operate on an operational level, but how they operate from a functional level. And it doesn't make sense to have six different agencies have their own regulations about it. Because when you have an upcoming project, there's no way they'll be able to actually comply with different regulations, pulling them in different directions. And they're not going to have the capital to fight it like Ripple Labs can. So I think this is a good thing, mainly because it's going to clear up a lot of confusion going forward. But I also like it because Democrats historically have been vehemently anti-crypto for a slew of reasons. But the leader of their party, the dominant party at the moment in the United States, coming out and saying, this is going to give the United States a competitive advantage globally going forward and saying, hey, we should really work together to figure out how this benefits not only the industry, but the country at large is a good thing and very positive uh, you know, coming on to almost year two now of this administration, I think this is a good step for them. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I've I've heard this narrative discussed about five or six different times, and from what I'm getting out of the bigger picture is that the executive order on on the whole is a nothing burger, right? Like, there's nothing to it. It's it's literally just reaffirming. Hey guys, we need to be doing something about crypto. That's it. But what I do appreciate from this is it's actually naming a department within our government to take responsibility for developing legislative recommendations. Now, the question becomes is that the right department? Um, I would tell you off the cuff that Janet Yellen is one of the most anti-crypto people in our government and she heads the treasury. So in terms of an actual barrier to positive legislation, I would say that's probably a pretty significant barrier because she's not going to just come up with favorable legislation around crypto. She's going to have to really listen to these other offices and disprove a lot of people in our country who actually believe that she's in the pocket of the banks. So we'll have to see how it develops. Um, But I do want to point out um, some commentary that came from Jeremy Allaire. 
um, who is the CEO of Circle. As you may know, Circle is the um, payment, uh, not payment, I'm sorry, the parent of USDC, the most popular stablecoin um, still, I believe, globally. And what he had to say for, about this whole executive order is that this is one of the biggest watershed moments for crypto that we've seen. Um, it He said that it was akin to the 1996 to 1997 whole government wake up to the commercial internet that was forming at the time. So I mean, that, that's a pretty bold statement on its own. But he went on to explain that essentially the executive order calls for nearly every relevant federal agency to take on understanding and developing policy positions that understand and address the risks of cryptocurrencies, but also that support innovation in the U.S. national economic Sorry, that support innovation and U.S. national economic competitiveness. The final highlights from what Jeremy had to say was that the executive order sets out initiatives to explore and engage in constructive problem solving around known risks that exist with the legacy financial systems who are looking at the greater traditional finance sector and the new Web3 world and how it may resolve some of those problems as it relates to things like privacy, security, financial inclusion, global competitiveness for the US dollar, etc. Um, his two final notes said that the executive order is appropriately focused on the here and now of rapid growth in digital assets and stable coins and getting it right so that those technologies can flourish in a responsible manner. In his opinion, which he wraps up with, <clears throat> this executive order should be viewed as the single biggest opportunity to engage with policymakers on the issues that matter. I completely agree with him on it. I think that that is the right way to be viewing this. This is the moment that it's basically being brought into um, the public's eye. We need to be taking advantage of that. Now, without what we, what we brought you at the top of the show from Andrew Wang, Yang, excuse me. Um, shut up, Chris. <laughs> I'm so like, my voice is shot. It's been a long week already and it's only like the beginning of the week. Um, <laughs> what we were talking about with An Andrew Yang at the beginning of the show, um, bringing up Lobby 3 DAO, that is what's going to make it so that we can have a voice in this discussion, right? Without structures in place like that that can go and lobby Congress and go lobby these individuals who are going to be making the legislation recommendations. That is what's going to make it a fair and balanced legislative environment. Otherwise, it's just going to be Janet saying, hey, we need to protect the banks. And that's going to be that. Uh, what do you think at large of the executive order and what Jeremy Lair had to say about it? I mean, I've, everything Jeremy had to say is right. Like for the most part, from what I've read of what he said, I agree with him. Um, and I'm also, you know this, like I'm a big fan of Circle and USD coin because again, out of every stable coin in existence, it is the closest to being a true stable coin. And you don't get to be the head of a company like Circle that has USD coin and you run a coin so well that it is actually close to what it should be, like he has. That may have been confusing. What I'm trying to say is he's not a dumb guy. He didn't get to where he is by making poor choices. He knows what he's doing. And for him to say all this is a big deal. And back to your point about Janet Yellen, I think it's 
this puts her even more in a hot seat because a company like Circle does effectively operate the closest to a bank in the term in terms of how it deals with liquidity and capital on hand. And so that basically erases how Janet Yellen will be able to target stablecoins in particular, which I know Biden is in, interested in. I can't remember if he said something in the order itself or you know, as a side comment, that essentially the US government, I believe the view is shifting. They don't want a CBDC. They just want a stablecoin good enough where it could work alongside the US in the same way that private banks essentially work with the US government to be the national banks. And see, I'm, I'm very fascinated by you know, what you just brought there because I've not heard that. Um, so I'm going to have to do a little bit more digging and research into you know, why the government may be shifting away from a CBDC. Um, I know that it, the executive order specifically did not say like, that we were going to definitively develop a CBDC. But the fact that they've left the door open for stable coins to a degree is very reassuring to me. Um, I've seen yeah. a number of different stable coin and CBDC related stories come out in the last week. Um, we don't bring them to you on this show because they're just not, you know, very sexy. But um, the the one that I will tell you, I think, is going to be arguably one of the bigger testing grounds for CBDCs is going to be what they're rolling out in Jamaica. Um, and they've officially announced that they're going to be doing an airdrop of the Jamaican CBDC to the first 100,000 users of it um, just to get, again, testbed and to make sure that they have people um, adopting it early. So I'm again, I'm, I'm really interested by it, but that's going to pretty much wrap up where we have our Aftershock segment this week. Um, it's still very early here, right? All of this regulation and executive orders and legislation, it comes at a price. But now that we have people on the Hill lobbying for us, it's giving us the opportunity to have well-rounded legislation. And that's going to be the case, not just in the United States, but also around the world. And you know, that's what's going to end up with you know, Web3 being accepted instead of just rejected based on the traditional system. Um, before we go today, we've got one last thing for you. And that, of course, is a little bit of breaking news. Breaking news. Mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, has officially come out and made a public statement saying that Austin will support Web3 going forward. Um, he said, Austin is excited to support the businesses and innovations that will turn the promises of Web3, cryptocurrency, and blockchain technology into reality. Um, and as an Austin citizen, Chris, I have to say you were probably stoked on this news despite it not being you know, the biggest of news, right? Yeah, I was going to say the news is... <laughs> In the same way, an executive order doesn't really do anything. That announcement didn't really do anything because there's already so much Web3 development here that it's basically just saying, hey, you're already here, but we like you, so don't go anywhere, which is a good thing, right? It's far better than him saying, get out, we don't want you here. Um, but the most interesting thing to be, to me, will be what will happen when he is probably not reelected? For those not caught up in Austin politics, he is not the most liked 
particularly by Texans. Um, and he frequently butts heads with the governor. So a lot of talk about essentially lobbies pushing someone else into the office. That being said, you know, kind of what I was saying on the same line, right? Like there is already so much Web3 here. I'm interested to see how, you know, a different administration would handle it if they would be as openly supportive of it. Um, but it's definitely a good thing. And it's, you know, kind of goes in line with the crazy tech boom we've seen here in Austin. With so many people moving here for a whole slew of reasons, there's been a lot of innovation, a lot of exciting new projects popping up. There's also a DAO here. There's the Austin DAO. So I'm very interested to see how this develops, um, more so from a political perspective, because I think with the beauty of Web3 being that it is decentralized, it's going to grow regardless. And with Austin already being such a big hub, that's not going to stop anytime soon. And I think that honestly, this is the type of news story that when it gets covered, it's almost like it's front running bigger news. Um, so I'm not sure that I can discount it entirely. I think this may come, you know, prior to them having some type of like chamber of commerce announcement about another big player from the Web3 ecosystem moving their operations to Austin. That's yeah. kind of what I would initially be looking out for in something like this. Um, that type of statement from a mayor, especially in an election year, mm-hmm. it does it doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, it's not yeah. just, it's not just them looking for press. That's they know something's coming. They want the community to know we have your back. Keep your eyes peeled because more is going to come from this. Yep, absolutely. So that's just my personal take on it. Yeah, it I, it also leads me to speculate. You know. Austin or Biden's executive order, then you have this that says, you know, we're pro Web3. You know, it, it has to make you think, right? Especially coming off the heels of the EU trying to deal with proof of work in particular. It looks like they are, you know, Austin is keeping up this big push for growth and innovation. And they're probably trying to attract these European developers now who are uncertain about their future. I mean, coming off the heels, yeah. So as they should, it's a great play. There are plenty of different companies coming out of Russia and Ukraine right now that are just saying, "Like, screw this. We don't want to be privy to this at all, and we need to find a new home." There are plenty that did the same thing out of China when Mm -hmm. China laid down their mining ban. Um, Again, there's going to be a lot of movement globally based on what's coming in Web three, and it's worth keeping your eye on. Um, The other things that are happening this week. In terms of shaping market dynamics, I just want to bring to your attention. Um, unfortunately, um, the pandemic is in fact worsening in China, and it is aggravating global supply chain issues. So we need to be aware of you know the fact that markets may be in flux from that, but they're also going to be in flux because we are consistently elevating inflation here in the United States, and our energy prices are kind of all over the board. Um, but the last piece comes with something that's happening tomorrow, um, or actually on the day that. This episode will be coming out, um, which is Wednesday. We have an upcoming rate hike expected from the Fed. So just be aware of it that like while the market is currently down and you have like a lot more buying opportunity right now, that you may want to play it a little bit more conservatively because all global markets and especially the markets here in the US will likely be somewhat in flux due to those Fed rate hikes. So keep an eye on it. Just worth mentioning. Um, Last but not least, I want to call attention to our uh, Monday show where Richard sat down with Joel Lynn from um, Citadel. Um, really interesting 
episode there for you. Um, so we again, we bring those enter- those interviews to you Mondays and Fridays here on Cryptocurrent. And I also got the chance to sit down with Dan Hannum from Zen Ledger. He's the COO of Zen Ledger, their big crypto accounting um, platform that's kind of like the plaid of the crypto world. Um, so that episode will be coming out on Friday for you. Um, but I think that's going to do it for this episode. Any final thoughts, Chris? That's going to be it for me, Steve. All right. Well, look, um, we hope that you will join us um, every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday here on Cryptocurrency YouTube channel or on your preferred podcast platform. Remember that we do our Twitter spaces live on Twitter spaces Thursdays for non-fungible Thursdays. You can find all the info on that up on our Twitter account. But until next time, folks, I hope you have a great week. Stay Cryptocurrent. We'll see you next time. Bye.